My journey into ministry had a huge no-going-back moment. It was during my last year of seminary. I was in Chicago. This is in 2006. It was January. I was there for my final month of intensive, week-long classes. I had arrived a few days early before classes started to have some time to finish reading and writing a couple of papers. I settled into the apartment that I had rented, and I ordered a pizza, and then I opened my laptop computer. But instead of writing, I went online to Poker Paradise, a place <laughs> where there were lots of online poker tables, and I started to play. You have to understand that I had been playing uh, for about a year at this point in time, and it was starting to take up more and more of my uh, energy in my life. I had other friends who played all kinds of games, including online poker, and some of them were actually making money online playing poker, and I was really wrapped up in that. So that afternoon, seven and a half years ago, I told myself I'd play for an hour, and then I would stop and turn my attention to those papers. And an hour went by, and I told myself, I'll just play a little bit more. The paper's almost done anyway. What could just a few more hands of poker really hurt? I kept playing, and the hours passed. And finally, sometime in the early morning, the next morning, I stopped. I'd lost some money, not a lot, but I'd lost some money, and I'd also lost a really big chunk of time. And I closed my laptop, and I know the laughter from some of you is a laughter of knowing. We've been in this place. And I closed my laptop, and I felt this shame and embarrassment and this sense of, what, what have I just done? I, yeah, it had been fun. And there were these moments of real joy where I was outwitting these other virtual people at the table I was playing with. It had been fun, sure, but it also was a little bit out of control. And in that moment, in that moment when I shut the laptop and down and the sun was coming up and sitting in that place, I heard a voice speak to me. I heard this voice that said, you can either keep playing online poker or you can do ministry and move toward being a minister, but you cannot do both. I don't know if it was God that was talking to me or a deep inner wisdom. On some level, it doesn't really matter what it was. I heard that voice. You can keep playing poker, Justin, or you can do ministry and become a minister, but you cannot do both. And I made a decision. I chose ministry. I didn't know it at the time, but I chose all of you. I chose this congregation, this staff, this place. I didn't know it then where my journey would lead me, but that was the choice I made. It was a before and an after moment for me, and I have not played online poker since that day. Maybe you've had a similar moment, online or otherwise. That moment where life is just sort of moving along, things are happening, and then 
boom, something changes. A moment arrives. A voice speaks to you. Something happens, and you step across this threshold. You step across a line, and everything is different. The most classic example of this in the Western religious tradition is to go back to the Garden of Eden. And so I want to invite you all into that garden with me this morning just for a minute. And I also want to say that I recognize some of us may have some baggage with that story and we hear it or have heard it as a story about original sin. But friends, I want you to know that uh, the Jewish tradition has no, uh, original sin is a foreign concept to Jews. In that story, there's no mention of original sin. And then Jesus in all of the Gospels never talks at all about original sin. So we misread the Garden of Eden story if we say, oh, that's a story about original sin. In that story, Adam and Eve, you'll remember, Adam and Eve see this fruit. They say, hey, that looks like it's actually really good. And there's some wisdom that we will gain if we eat that fruit and they taste it and their eyes are open and they gain knowledge of life and death. By tasting that fruit, they leave the innocent childlike state they were in and they step into a different knowing. They can't unknow what they now know. And in the story, they are forced to leave the garden and to enter the real world of hardship and of blessing. Once you've tasted the fruit of knowing, once you've crossed that line, there is no going back. Your world, the world, is forever changed. It's like that moment on the roller coaster, right? When you strap in and you're like, hey, all right, and like click, 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 click. And it kind of becomes more concretely real in your heart and mind what's going on. Like click, 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 right. You're gonna reach a point really quickly where the wind and the adrenaline and a bunch of screams are just gonna be in your face and there's no way off. They're not gonna stop the ride, be like, oh, you got a problem, I'll back that thing up, you can get off down. Like, no. You're going over the edge. You're going into the ride. Life is full. It is so full of those moments, some that we choose, others that we do not choose. An unexpected call. An unexpected call in the middle of the day or the middle of the night. Hello? Hi, I'm, I'm calling about your mother. She's had a stroke. Come quickly. Or another call, hello, I'm calling about your son. Your son's been in an accident. I think he's okay, but we don't know. You've had those calls, those moments. Or a routine checkup at the doctor. A routine checkup suddenly becomes anything but routine. And a new reality settles into your life. Or maybe you've served in the military and you have seen and heard and even done things that there is no going back from. And surely there are times, surely there are times when a whole community steps across a, thre a threshold, which is very much how I understand this racial justice journey that we are on. <coughs> We are saying collectively that we are leaving the safety of the garden, however you understand the garden, we are leaving the safety of the garden as we take this journey to awaken 
to awaken to the social and historical and current realities of this country as they relate to race and racism and whiteness. You all have your own going back moments. I know that you do. And I want to invite you in this moment right now, I want to invite you to take a minute to think about a time in your life, either by chance or by, by choice, when you had one of those moments, when you walked across a threshold or stepped across a threshold or something happened that put you in a place where you knew you could not return and be the same. I invite you to bring one of those moments to mind in this space. I invite you to think of one of those moments and bring it to mind in this space. I'll just wait a second. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What feelings arise in you as you hold this moment? What are you feeling? You don't have to name what that is. Just the invitation is just to be with what you are feeling. And I know in my own life, so often in my own life, and I suspect in your life, there are these times when we think of one of those moments and the feeling that we sometimes skip over, not always, but sometimes skip over, is the remembering of the experience of grief in those moments, in those transition moments. In my experience, those threshold moments are almost always laced with grief, with a sadness. And our spiritual task our spiritual work is to befriend that grief, not to ignore it, not to give it an occasional scrap of attention or a passing glance, but to actually turn toward it, to name it, to talk to it. I'll tell you, when I stopped playing poker and, choose, and chose ministry, when I stopped playing poker and chose ministry, which was the right decision, that nebulous dream that I was holding on to of being a professional poker player, <laughs> which was true. There was a piece of me that there was some deep thing that was met by this behavior, this playing on line, the, the outwitting of other players, the adrenaline rush of winning a big hand. It was virtual money, but it was, I, I, there was something about that that I loved, and that had to die. Choosing ministry meant that that other dream, crazy as it was, had to be set down. Ministry claimed me, and that meant other things couldn't. Here's another example. For so many of us, I know this because I talk with you, for so many of us, becoming a parent is sometimes the most amazing thing we can possibly imagine, and there is such joy in parenting and sharing that work with a partner, if we have a partner, and watching that new life unfold. But friends, if we're really honest, there is no going back <laughs> from parenting. As parents, we, we will spend, and many of you have spent, a huge chunk of your life responsible and accountable to another life. 
the needs and the longings and the dreams that we have as individuals, those have to get all shuffled and readjusted and sometimes just taken off the table as we serve another life. And if we don't name that and speak to that reality, then there can be this low level of grief and even anger that is the backdrop to our lives. Talking to grief is spiritual work. And as we move more deeply into our racial justice journey, I suspect that that journey will be laced with grief as well. Perhaps this is because, like Adam and Eve, many of us will be losing our innocence as white people. We will start to understand more fully the damage done to us and to others by racism. Or perhaps the grief we might experience is wrapped up in defensiveness or apathy or fear. You know, hey, like, I'm not a racist. Why are we doing this work? My family didn't own slaves. Like, why are we doing this? Or it might be, I so, I so want to be on this journey. But my heart has been broken before when I've picked up this work. Instead of running from grief, we might listen to these words from the poet. Ah, grief, I should not treat you like a homeless dog. I should trust you. I should coax you into the house and give you your own corner. You think I don't know you've been living under my porch. You long for your real place to be readied before winter comes. You need your name, your collar, and your tag. The poet speaks truth, and it is hard to talk to our grief. Often, I feel, I assume you must feel, we feel such tight control over our emotions that even having a deep feeling a deep feeling like grief can convince us we are dying. We feel vulnerable and naked and powerless. But this work of talking to our grief is critical for wholehearted, abundant living. If we cannot name and integrate grief into our lives, we will slowly accumulate layer after calcified layer of grief, and those layers will prevent us from being fully human. They will hide what is most important and most real. If you think of a young child, if you think of a young child before they are socialized to suck it up and don't cry like a baby, before that moment, when they hurt themselves or their feelings are hurt, they have a really good cry. They name, they befriend the grief. They have this emotional release most of the time, and then they move on, ready to engage the world, ready to take on whatever's next. It's not easy work, but we've seen it in action. And I want to share with you this morning a place where I am actively, this is happening now, actively naming and befriending some of the grief in my life, though it is not easy. Six years ago, Juliana and I, my wife and I, we went to Glacier National Park for our honeymoon together. 
We love camping together. We've always done fun things like that. And this seemed like a great time for uh, an adventure. But the truth is, I also wanted to see the glaciers before they disappeared, before they melted. Because there's a part of me that knows, that sees, that recognizes that we are fundamentally altering our planet and the climate, and there is no going back from what we have done and from what we are doing. If you are half awake and pay attention to the news sources around us, there is a steady stream of articles and reports and pieces about the oceans becoming more acidic about the warming of the oceans, about the coming death of coral reefs and the collapse of entire ocean ecosystems. This breaks my heart when I think about the world our children will grow up in. It is a different earth. It will be a different earth than the one I was born into, the one that many of you were born into. This new climate is already ushering in massive biological and social consequences. And I grieve, I deeply <clears throat> grieve what we have done and what we are doing. And I know I have more befriending of that grief to do. I need to prepare a larger place in the house that is my heart so that I can welcome the grief that is still hiding under the porch. Here's the piece about talking to grief, talking to that grief, this deep sadness I feel about what we're doing to the world. It won't shift the reality of climate change. It won't shift the mass extinctions that human beings are causing or the rise of the ocean levels due to Arctic ice melt, but it will change my relationship to grief. And I trust that in that process, I will be able to accept what is and what is coming. And I trust that I will be able to get clear about what it is I have to do now to sustain the life that remains. I know that you all carry your own grief. Maybe it's about the environment. Maybe it's a relationship that ended. Maybe it's a child you mourn. And so when you meet in your community circles or your practice circles or when you sit down with a good friend or your partner or someone you trust, I hope you will talk to your grief. I hope you will know that your grief the grief you feel is the thread that connects you to the tapestry of the human family. And that that tapestry and you are held by the great weaver and creator and source of love that is at the heart of things. I hope you will know that the spirit of life holds our grief and grieves with us and is the source that helps us find our way back to courage and hope and love. I'm testifying to these things this morning because I know them to be true, because I have sat with many of you. We have sat 
with grief. We have named grief. We have prayed over grief. And with tears in our eyes, we have turned to each other, not because it is fixed or it has gone away, but because the spirit of life has moved and touched and been present in that moment in hope and love emerge from that place. I know these things because I have sat with you in your grief and my own. Our spiritual work is to name and befriend our grief so that it doesn't build up and diminish the light that each of us carry. So that our grief doesn't turn, our unaddressed grief doesn't turn into depression or mindless consumption or apathy. That is not what the spirit of life intends for you. That is not what it means to be fully human. That is not what it means to live and then to die well. And I'm thinking now of this beautiful quote that Ruth Mackenzie shared a couple of weeks ago when she said these words from the theologian Cynthia Bergeau. We are not here to live forever, but to die well. Releasing to the atmosphere courage and dignity and trust. We are not here to live forever, but to die well and then release courage and dignity and trust. What I know is that there is no going back from death, which is the final destination on that crazy roller coaster ride we are all on together. But if we are to live well on that ride and those threshold moments, if we are to live well with greater love and courage and compassion in our lives, if we are to live well and then to release courage and trust and dignity into the atmosphere upon our death, then we must talk to our grief. We must befriend it and name it and make a place for it before winter comes. We must name it and befriend it and make a place for it before winter comes. I see you this morning. I see what you're holding. I imagine the grief hiding under the porches in your lives. And I want to tell you, that is what connects you to every single person in this space. That is where the spirit of life will hold you and love you back to life. May it be so. And amen. <clears throat>